Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 1 And there is a word of Jehovah unto me, saying, And thou, son of man, thus said the Lord Jehovah to the ground of Israel. In the last chapter, the Lord had Ezekiel face the direction of Jerusalem and prophesy against the mountains and the streams of Jerusalem. Now Ezekiel is still facing Jerusalem, and the Lord is having him prophesy against the ground of Jerusalem. But all along, the people are listening. This prophecy is for the people, but it's being addressed to the natural landscape. In God's law, the land is always cursed when the people sin, and the people listening are far away from Jerusalem. They've already been taken captive by the Chaldeans into the land of the Chaldeans. But they're hearing prophecy about what will happen to those who are still living in Jerusalem. 2. An end come hath the end on the four corners of the land. Ezekiel is speaking to the four corners of the land of Jerusalem and Judah. In the Bible we see a lot that there's the four winds and the four corners of the earth. In the book of Revelation we learn that the city in heaven that has God's throne is shaped like a cube and it has four corners. There's something about four corners that is important to the Lord. He also had the Israelites march in the formation of a cross, but in the center of a cross is a square. The cross represents Jesus Christ. The center of the cross, which is a square geometrically, perhaps that represents the golden city of God. But earlier in this book, when we read about the four cherubim that were attending God's throne, each of them had four faces, the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. And all of those faces represented something different. The face of the man represents that God came to earth as man to suffer everything that we suffer and to obey the Father in our place and die for us. And then the face of the eagle represents God the warrior, because eagles always get their prey. And when God is after you, you're in big trouble. The lion face represents the kingship of Christ. He is king of kings and lord of lords, eternal. The ox represents that Jesus is the sacrifice for the sins of the world and for the redemption of the world because he transforms our lives by his blood. But they also represented the four banners that were carried by the Israelites on each side of the Ark of the Covenant when all of the Israelites were marching in formation in the desert when they were following the Lord in the form of a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The eagle face represents the tribe of Dan, which camped on the north side of the formation. That would be the top of the formation if you're looking at it from above facing north. And the lion represents the tribe of Judah that camped on the east of the Ark of the Covenant. The man's face was on the ensign or the banner of the tribe of Reuben that camped on the south side and the ox face was on the banner or the ensign of the tribe of Ephraim that camped on the west side of the Ark of the Covenant.
whenever the ark wasn't moving. These cherubim have these four faces representing four aspects of the Lord, and the banner of each of these tribes also represented an aspect of the character of the Lord. In this chapter, he mentions the four corners of Jerusalem. In the Lord's mind, any plot of land must be divided into four corners. This must be some sort of a spiritual division, because we know that land isn't really shaped in a square. Jerusalem isn't really a square. Israel isn't really a square, nor was the territory of Judah. But if you make two perpendicular lines in the center of any territory, then each quarter of that area you could call its own corner. Ezekiel is prophesying to the four corners of the land of Jerusalem. 3. Now is the end unto thee, and I have sent mine anger upon thee, and judged thee according to thy ways, and set against thee all thine abominations. The Lord says, The time is coming for the land of Jerusalem, that I am going to judge you for all of your sins. 4. And no pity on thee hath mine eye, nor do I spare, for thy ways against thee I do set, and thine abominations are in thy midst, and ye have known that I am Jehovah. He says, You knew all along that I created you, and I'm your God, I gave you all the miracles, I took you out of Egypt, I protected you, I gave you food, And more importantly, I gave you my law, and I taught you the way to salvation. Every single ordinance of the law represents an aspect of Jesus Christ, their Savior. But having all of that knowledge, they just threw it away and worshipped idols anyway. So the Lord says, Now you are going to be judged. 5. Thus said the Lord Jehovah, Evil, a single evil, lo, it hath come. 6. An end hath come, come hath the end, it hath waked for thee, lo, it hath come. This is going to be the end of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a beautiful town for hundreds of years in Israel, but now the time is coming where the Lord is going to have the Babylonians completely desecrate and desolate Jerusalem. It will be a totally broken city. 7. Come hath the morning unto thee, O inhabitant of the land, come hath the time, near is a day of trouble, and not the shouting of mountains. This is metaphorical language. The Lord is saying, tomorrow you're going to be destroyed. Now he doesn't mean a literal tomorrow. This is several years into the future from Ezekiel's time, but that might as well have been tomorrow because they're not going to expect it when it comes. They're not going to be ready. 8. Now, shortly I pour out my fury on thee, and have completed mine anger against thee, and judged thee according to thy ways, and set against thee all thine abominations. The Lord is going to judge them for their abominations in the temple, where they worshipped false gods, in the holy temple itself, and he's going to judge them for all of their abominable sins, adultery, fornication, prostitution, child sacrifice, and other horrors that they were committing. 9. And not pity doth mine eye, nor do I spare, according to thy ways, unto thee I give, and thine abominations are in thy midst, 
and ye have known that I am Jehovah the Smiter. He says, you still have your idols up. You don't have any way of asking for my forgiveness because you haven't even torn your idols down. You see, the Lord sees into our hearts. If we tell him that we're sorry for stealing $10 from our neighbor, but we never return the $10, he knows we're not really sorry, and he isn't going to forgive us. And that's what he's telling the Israelites. He said, even if you tried to say that you repent, the idols are still standing, so I know you haven't repented. 10. Lo, the day, lo, it hath come, gone forth hath the morning, blossomed hath the rod, flourished the pride. He says, blossomed hath the rod. Now this happened way back in the book of Numbers, when the people complained against Moses and Aaron, and they said that Aaron had no right to be priest, which was an absolute lie. It was because a lot of men were jealous of Aaron, and they wanted to take his place. So the Lord said, okay, all of you men take your staffs, and the next morning we'll see who is the true priest. And in the morning, Aaron's staff had budded. It had almond blossoms on it, which is a total miracle because it was just a dead stick. The almond represents appointment. It means that somebody is appointed to do the job. Aaron was the appointed priest of the Lord. The Lord is making an allusion to when that happened to Aaron's rod. That was a sign to them that Aaron was their priest, and God is reminding them of that, which means he's reminding them that his son has always been their priest, and they did not follow their priest. 11. The violence hath risen to a rod of wickedness. There is none of them, nor of their multitude, nor of their noise, nor is there welling for them. This is an extension of the metaphor and the illusion. Now, illusion means when you allude to something else in literature or in the past. The Lord is alluding to when the jealous Levites wanted to take Aaron's job and said that he didn't deserve to be high priest, but the Lord showed everyone that he was the appointed high priest. Their rods, their staffs, were staffs of wickedness, and they worked violence on the people. He's saying that the priests and the Levites who are in Jerusalem today are wicked men. Violence can take place in many forms. It can be financial extortion. It can be mind control. It can be physical violence. It can also be putting people in slavery. And the priests in Israel were doing all of that to the people. They were brainwashing them into practicing idolatry, which would cause them to hurt each other. Paganism includes rape, torture, and murder. When you practice paganism, you have to hurt people. That's part of the religion. Not only is he going to kill those evil rulers, but they won't even be remembered. No one's going to cry for them when they die. 12. Come hath the time, arrived hath the day. The buyer doth not rejoice, and the seller doth not become a mourner, for wrath is unto all its multitude. No one will be buying, trading, or selling in Jerusalem because most of them are going to be dead. Others will be starving, and others will be taken away by the Babylonians. 13. 
for the seller to the sold thing turneth not, and yet among the living is their life, for the vision is unto all its multitude, it doth not turn back, and none by his iniquity doth strengthen his life. There'll be no point in even trying to buy, trade, or sell because the buyers are dead, the sellers are dead, and there's nothing to buy. Because of the siege, there won't be any food or supplies left in Jerusalem. And he says that the sins that they committed will not save their lives. Some people live by sin. They just commit crime after crime, or they manipulate lots of people and destroy people's lives, but they never prosper from it. 14. They have blown with a trumpet to prepare the whole, and none is going to battle, for my wrath is unto all its multitude. In Jerusalem the trumpets will be blown to call the people to war against the Babylonians, but nobody will have the courage to go to war. So it's going to be so humiliating. The trumpets will be blown and everyone's just going to stand there looking at each other. Nobody is going to take arms against the Babylonians. 15. The sword is without, and the pestilence and the famine within. He who is in a field by sword dieth, and he who is in a city, famine and pestilence devour him. The Lord says, whoever is outside the city is going to get killed by the Babylonian soldiers, and anybody in the city is going to starve to death or die of disease. This siege lasted two and a half years, and that's plenty long enough for people to die of starvation. 16. And escaped away have their fugitives, and they have been on the mountains as doves of the valleys. All of them make a noise, each for his iniquity. Iniquity means sin. Those who manage to escape Jerusalem will have to go and hide in the rock caves around the area of Jerusalem to hide from the Babylonian army, just like birds. And when they get there, they will be begging the Lord to forgive them because they know they're going to die if he doesn't forgive them. 17. All the hands are feeble and all knees go waters. The men are going to have weak knees. It'll be like they're in water and they can't walk. They'll be so afraid. 18. And they have girded on sackcloth and covered them hath trembling and unto all faces is shame and on all their heads baldness. They're going to shave their heads out of mourning, and they're going to put on sackcloth, begging the Lord to have mercy on them. Sackcloth is a very coarse garment. It's not comfortable. Like fasting, it's when you deny yourself sensual pleasures, the pleasure of food, the pleasure of hair, the pleasure of comfortable clothing. And you tell the Lord that you don't want anything but for him to forgive you. Some people will repent and mourn when things get really, really bad. 19. Their silver unto out places they cast, and their gold impurity becometh. Their silver and their gold is not available to deliver them in a day of the wrath of Jehovah. Their soul they do not satisfy, and their bowels they do not fill. For the stumbling block of their iniquity it hath been. There won't be any supplies or goods, so their gold and silver will become worthless to them because they're starving to death. Their silver and gold will lose all of its meaning. Their wealth had been a stumbling block to them all along, 
they lived for wealth, and that's why they worshipped the gods, because the gods always promise you prosperity. They weren't worshipping the Lord and living for Him and His commandments. As Christians, if we seek prosperity, we are definitely going down the rabbit trail of destruction. Our goal as Christians is to seek peace with the Lord, which means that we obey Him and we are forgiven. Prosperity doesn't even factor in, because we're going to have all the prosperity we ever wanted when we get to heaven. The goal is to get to heaven. If you have to give up everything in this life to keep your salvation, it's totally worth it. But so many people today are focused on prosperity in this life. False teachers are telling them that if they're not rich, then that means they don't have any faith. But that is such a lie. Faith is when you trust God, no matter what your circumstances. The Israelites were seeking prosperity from their demon gods. But they're going to come to the point when they don't even want to look at their silver and gold. 20. As to the beauty of his ornament, for excellency he said it, and the images of their abominations, their detestable things, they made in it. Therefore I have given it to them for impurity. The Israelites took the wealth and the beauty, the gold, the silver, and the jewels that the Lord had blessed them with, and they used it for false idols, and they made it impure by using it to build demon idols with. 21. And I have given it into the hand of the strangers for a prey, and to the wicked of the land for a spoil, and they have polluted it. The Lord says, I am going to give these precious stones and metals away to the Babylonians, and my people won't have these things anymore. 22. And I have turned my face from them, and they have polluted my hidden place. Yea, come into it, have destroyers, and polluted it. The temple was already defiled because of the sins of the Israelites, and now the Lord is saying, I don't want that temple anymore. It's defiled. I'm leaving it, and I'm going to let the Babylonians defile it even more and totally pollute it by trampling all through it and taking everything out of it. And why would the Lord want a temple that we had worshipped false gods in? He doesn't need anything from us. He isn't going to take a second-hand handout. 23. Make the chain, for the land hath been full of bloody judgments, and the city hath been full of violence. 24. And I have brought in the wicked of the nations, and they have possessed their houses, and I have caused to cease the excellency of the strong and polluted have been those sanctifying it. Make a chain means try to restrain the violence. The land has been full of violence, and this is because of their demon worship, because demon worship requires violence. It requires rape, mutilation, and murder of children, and it requires prostitution, which is a form of violence, and it also requires adultery. Paganism is extremely violent. And he says that it's time to restrain the violence. He says they have been violent all along practicing paganism. But when I bring in Babylon and the nations that it represents, they won't be able to restrain the violence of Babylon when it comes in. He also says that those who are strong in Israel will no longer be strong when the Babylonians show up. 
Everybody will be weak and unable to fight. 25. Destruction hath come, and they have sought peace, and there is none. Peace is when there's no war, and the people in Jerusalem are going to wish and hope that the war would end, but it won't end. 26. Mischief on mischief cometh, and report is on report, and they have sought a vision from a prophet, and law doth perish from the priest, and counsel from the elders. People will backstab each other to try to survive, and also people will be seeking a positive prophecy, and prophets will be having positive visions. Oh, it's going to be over tomorrow. It's going to be over next week. God's going to bless us. God's going to bring victory our way, and it will all be false. We hear the same thing today. There's lots of prophets on the internet who, on a daily basis, are promising restoration to our lands, and they're promising that God is going to overthrow the evil governments and cause us to be able to prosper and flourish and restore our constitutions. But this is all false prophecy. Our world is heading to destruction. The only way we can avoid personal destruction is by repenting of our sins. The promises of a false prophet won't save us. This verse also says that the elders will have bad counsel. They won't know what to do. And this is because it's not going to occur to anybody that they should get down on their knees and repent. In times of trouble, always repent. That's the only thing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing else. Because all bad times are brought by the Lord. When we realize that, that it really is from the Lord, then we repent. But today, the false prophets tell you, Oh no, God would never allow you to suffer. Oh no, God doesn't want you to have any problems. He doesn't want you to have any sickness. If you have sickness, it's a lack of faith. Only the devil would make you sick. Only the devil would allow you to be poor. No, it's not true. God brings evil into our lives to cause us to repent. 27. The king doth become a mourner, and a prince putteth on desolation, and the hands of the people of the land are troubled. From their own way I deal with them, and with their own judgments I judge them, and they have known that I am Jehovah. These leaders were harsh against the poor. They refused to help the poor, as God's law in Leviticus commanded them to do. So when Jerusalem gets ransacked, and they cry out to the Lord for help, he's going to say, nope, I'm going to give you the same judgment that you gave the poor in your land. I'm not going to help you. And that concludes Ezekiel chapter 7.